Hello and welcome to the Money Talk podcast. I'm Ed Monk. Today on the show, where does the current turmoil in markets leave UK shares? Britain was beginning to look attractive versus other markets before the shock of Russia's war in Ukraine changed that picture. We're speaking today with UK fund manager Alexandra Jackson to gauge exactly where it all leaves our home market. If you enjoy the show, please rate us, share us or leave a comment wherever you get your podcasts. For the past few years, the UK stock market has been somewhat unloved by investors and companies here have often traded at a discount versus those in other major markets. Come the start of 2022 and for various reasons, that picture was beginning to change with the UK once again looking more attractive. Then, in the past few weeks, the picture changed again, dramatically so, with Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So, where does it all leave UK shares now? How will the market fare versus other regions? And will success depend on exactly where you're looking for your returns? To help answer all of those questions, I hope, I'm very pleased to say that I'm joined by Alexandra Jackson, the manager of the Rathbone UK Opportunities Fund. Alexandra, welcome along. Hi, Ed. Thanks for having me. Um Now, I guess it makes sense to start with the current situation. So how are events in Ukraine impacting the companies that you and your fund invest in? Yes, as you say, the um, the environment is changing a lot and has changed again. So there's a fair amount to analyse in terms of thinking about the way this impacts our companies. Um, and I think some of the second round impacts, you know, we haven't even seen those yet. Um, first of all, in in um, you know thinking about the direct exposures, um, they're very low, as you would imagine, in the kind of companies that we invest in in a UK fund. So less than one percent of revenues come from Russia and Ukraine, and you know, sadly, that's falling every day as companies um, halt operations or they pull out of the area. Um, So mostly our holdings have zero exposure, no operations, no presence, no sales. But a few have kind of low single digits. So some of the multinationals, Vivatree, Diageo, they sell some products there. Um, Then there are those companies who don't have a direct presence, but actually their supply chain um, could be impacted. Particularly, we find that a lot in the industrial space. Um, Ukraine makes, for example, 40% of the world's wire harnesses. Those are the, that's the kind of wiring um, setup in cars. Uh, Russia controls 40% of the world's palladium, nickel, uh, platinum. So this is going to cause headaches for a supply chain that's already under quite a lot of pressure, um, contending with chip shortages, for example. Um, Again, in the UK, we're not over full of these kind of companies. Um, So it's not a major issue. And again, for the fund, we don't tend to um, own too many resource intensive companies. Um, Those tend to be kind of the larger cap names where we don't play too much. But, you know, logistical bottlenecks, I think, in an already tight market might hurt. Um, Around a fifth of the world's sailors are actually Ukrainian and Russian. Um, Again, this could cause a bit more disruption to, you know, seaborne supply chains. Um, We also own a a specialty insurance company. They probably have some exposure. They've probably written some political risk or some aircraft um, insurance that, um, you know, at the moment there's an issue around leased aircrafts. Um, But I think the main, you know, the main impact is going to be around the supply chain. It's going to be around the spike in energy prices as well. Um, Anyone who uses a great deal of energy or where their input costs are linked to natural gas or or oil prices. Um, So we're talking about those companies, um, talking to those companies, finding out how much they can mitigate this, whether it's passing on these increased prices, whether it's, you know, changing the process or the model or the the sourcing agreement. Um, A lot of them say that, you know, 
prices are sticking quite nicely, price increases are sticking quite nicely, and that's because universal inflation makes those conversations sometimes with customers a bit easier to have. They're having those conversations with a lot of people, so it's not unexpected. Um, but on the other hand, um, prices have gone up a lot already across the world for you know in, in lots of different areas and so now actually we do have to start thinking maybe a little bit about demand destruction from higher prices um, the other change probably is around defense spending so European government governments in particular are going to be increasing their defense um, you can get exposure to that in the UK as well mainly lower down the market cap scale um, in a similar way renewable energies as well something that we need to think at, about um, as Europe tries to wean itself off Russian energy um, there's quite a lot of negativity in there, I yes. think. Um, <laughs> a lot to digest. Yeah, there's a lot to digest. But actually, it kind of for us, it reaffirms that investment style that we have. So, um, you know, trying to own the resilient, reliable, repeatable quality growth businesses, because they're the ones that can handle best these really tough times. Um, they have the cash, they have the pricing power to withstand cost inflation. Um, and perhaps a little bit counterintuitively, again, most of these businesses, or a lot of them, don't sit in the FTSE 100. So they're not the kind of large cap um, headline names. Um, and they've been sold down aggressively. You know, we've had a big route, um, and particularly any hint of companies who are investing for the long term, mm -hmm. rather than just harvesting short term profits, um, those shares really get hit as well. So for us, you know, we've got a long term view, so we have to take advantage of some of these um, opportunities. Okay, well, there's lots, th there's lots there. And you talk, um, let's dwell a bit on, on these companies that, that you say tend to come outside of, of the FTSE 100, and that's perhaps a skew that's within your, within your fund. Explain to us, if you can, the different forces acting on those kinds of companies versus the larger British companies, and how do you expect those different parts of the market to behave in the, in the months ahead, given what's going on? Yeah, it will look different. And, you know, I think one of the many reasons that we like hunting beneath the FTSE 100 is because this is actually where the UK market, um, it stops looking like a bit of a dinosaur, like right. some kind of relic from a bygone era. You know, our headline index, to me, it's got quite an unappealing uh, sector makeup. It's got too many overspaced retailers, office blocks, shopping centres, um, oil companies where, you know, shareholders won't let them drill, banks where they're very commoditised, um, telcos, they, they destroy value. Um, but the FTSE 250 and AIM, on the other hand, um, they look a bit more like the S&P 500, for example, um, kind of really top performing global indices in terms of that sector makeup. So, you know, it's more industrials, more tech, it's, it's fewer banks. Um, and when I look at which parts of the UK market have outperformed over the last one, two, three decades, it is the mid 250. Uh, and I don't think it's a fluke. I don't think it's a kind of moment in time. It's it's actually because of those characteristics that those companies have. So um, when I say it looks more like the S&P 500, similarly with the characteristics. So on average, you get higher earnings growth, you get lower leverage, better return on capital and cash generation. Those are kind of those quality metrics that tend to lead to um, outperformance over the longer term. Um, you asked about the forces impacting those companies. Um, the mid-250 can be less impacted by factors outside their control, I think. You know, you have fewer, um, less of an impact perhaps from FX, from, you know, from mm -hmm. currencies, from interest rates, and also from um, index moves, from, you know, the machines. Um, small and mid-caps do tend to trade more closely with their fundamentals, um, but then the payoff can be around the liquidity profile. So you have to contend with that. Uh, but I think it's definitely an area where active management and, and stock picking really makes sense. 
Yeah, and now now the the war and and what's going on at the the sort of the headline level in markets at the moment that isn't the only context for stock markets. Um, we've already uh, before Ukraine and Russia came along, we were dealing with this change in monetary environment, monetary policy environment at central banks. That was the thing that had been moving markets before this escalation of fighting in Ukraine. And actually, you talk about some of the, the big companies in the, the FTSE 100, they were beginning maybe to look a bit more attractive given that change in environment. How is this all been affecting mm. how you look at the companies that you invest in? Yeah, absolutely right. That you know, we saw that very strong rebound in demand post um, COVID, and then that was combined with you know supply chains that weren't quite ready yet, and that's led yes. to inflation prints way above what central banks are comfortable with. So now we are in this tightening environment, and it's a big change uh, in that outlook. And as you say, that's been it's been moving markets in recent months moving away, I guess, from those quality growth names that have outperformed so much in the last few years. They're not those names that aren't too reliant on the health of the economy uh, and moving more towards the cyclical value type companies, those that really need the economy uh, to be motoring strongly, those that like interest rate rises. Um, so the banks, the energy companies, we've already touched on that. Um, we're quite underweight there in this fund because we can't find the right names that fit the investment process, um, the resilient, reliable, repeatable growth. We can't see a path for these businesses in the main to generate a kind of acceptable return on capital. On a three to five year view, there's the structural, there's the regulatory headwinds. Um, and actually be, being underweight, those kind of names has been a really good driver of the fund's outperformance in recent years. But now it's obviously turned into a headwind. Um, but we're not going to change. You know, the names that we do own in the financial sector, for example, where you'd probably want to, to have a bit more exposure now, you know, they, for us, they need to have more of an investment case behind them than just, you know, rates are going up. Because as we've seen very recently, this can change quite quickly. So, you know, since the invasion, um, the expectations for rate rises have actually fallen quite a lot. And you can see that, you know, that's really hurt the bank's shares, for example. Um, we do own some specialty financials, uh, an alternative fund manager, that uh, insurance company that we talked about, an investment platform. You kind of get, you can get some of the sensitivity to rate rises, but um, slightly better quality, I would say, better cash generation, a more sustainable long-term investment case. Um, but, you know, rates are going up. There's no, there are no two ways about that. So, you know, maybe that decade-long dominance of growth quality growth, um, you know, it might be ending this one-way street, potentially. It's, it's kind of running out of road. So we do expect a slightly more balanced market. And as you say, this is a very, you know, it's a very welcome development for the UK market, which is, um, which does benefit from that. Um, it just makes sense to have a bit more exposure to financials. Also, I think to that reopening trade, which yeah. has also really taken a backseat in the last few weeks. Um, there's a huge amount of pent-up demand for travel. Yeah, and and just further further to that point, then, it, does, will a point come where the 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 prospect of higher rates, and obviously that might be changing given what's going mm -hmm. on in with demand in the economy, if will that will we get to a point where that's sort of priced into the prices of the companies that you're talking about here in the UK, those mid 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 cap companies, but by extension by those big growth companies in the US as well, will, will we get to a point where yes, actually. It's not great the rates are rising for these companies, but you know what? They're great companies and they're yeah. going to continue to churn out money. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's definitely always in the back of our mind that these are the, the quality growth businesses. They do tend to lead to that long term outperformance. And um, markets move so quickly now that actually at the very beginning of the year, I think markets moved incredibly quickly to price in more rate hikes than, you know, that yeah. we could see. Um 
you know, it's very, it's awful why those rate high expectations have had to come down. But uh, actually, those, you know, some of those growth names really got hit very hard. And so we have seen some opportunities to pick up those, you know, those names that kind of sit at the at the middle point between, you know, pricing power, a little bit of maybe a little bit of yield sensitivity and, and quality growth. Okay. And, and just finally on this point, um, are you fully invested? Do you see value amongst the companies you're looking at to, to buy in now? Or are you broadly cautious on markets? Yeah, we've got a little bit more cash at the moment than we normally do. Um, We've had some inflows into the fund and we actually haven't, you know, put that to work as quickly as sometimes we do, waiting a little bit to see how um, things settle down in the Ukraine. Um, But, you know, the sell-off has been really indiscriminate when I look across the UK market and Mm. the different factors. um, And actually everything has sold off kind of to a similar degree. So for stock pickers like me, actually, this is a, you know, this could be a really interesting environment. Okay, well, um, let's move on to the the sort of the the UK economic picture mm. and 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 how that relates to, to to the fund and to the companies you're you're talking about. How much is the performance of those companies dependent on what the UK economy particularly does? I guess people might have an idea that the lower down the market cap you, uh, range you go, the more exposure to the domestic economy you're going to get, less susceptible to these big global macro forces that you've talked about. Is that is that a fair assumption? How does it how does that hold in terms of your fund? Yeah, I mean the numbers definitely back that up, I would say. So around I think it's just over thirty percent of the revenues from the large cap index come from within the UK. So the majority come from outside the UK. But in the two fifty and small cap, it's over fifty percent of revenues come from the UK. So yes, at the index level, smaller companies are more exposed to the domestic economy than large caps. But I I think that gap is probably a lot smaller than than people think. I think 50-50 is probably um, is probably better than most people assume. Um, there are companies with you know absolutely no UK revenue, no UK presence at all. They just happen to be listed in London. Um, then there are you know the companies that are 100% UK. We kind of have a, a mix of those in the fund. Um, so there is some currency sensitivity there, more so than in the uh, in the benchmark. Um, this fund, as most UK funds do, they benefit from um, strong sterling. Um, but actually, if you kind of dig down a little bit beneath just the index level, some of the most economically sensitive parts of the UK market are the large caps. It's the banks, the energy companies, the mining companies. And at times, like now, when GDP forecasts are being reduced, consumer confidence is shaky, uncertainty is on the rise, those economically sensitive companies are unlikely to be the ones that can outperform. Um, And especially after the bounce they've had, the rotation that we've seen recently. Um, Then you can kind of, uh, for us, we look at domestic names trying to reduce that sensitivity that they have. To the UK economy. So again, it's the quality growth names. And I think even in that domestic bucket, you can try and kind of outrun some of the, some of the cycle um, by owning areas with structural growth drivers. So, you know, the explosion in video gaming, for example, during COVID, that was a really nice, very domestic sector, but with limited cyclicality. Um, industrial warehousing, for example, is undergoing a huge change in kind of demand and supply dynamics, whereas there's absolutely tons of demand as we all shop online more um, but very limited supply because it's still not um, it still doesn't make sense to build too many warehouses in the UK um, to get amazing rental growth Uh, and that gives a quite a nice defensive quality um, that you know shines through during times like this so they're exposed to the UK economy but actually not particularly cyclical Um, the really cyclical areas you know big kind of consumer big ticket items discretionary spend um, that does worry us a little bit at the moment. 
areas, you know, home furnishings, electronics, things like that, where you know, the pandemic, we all bought forward a lot of purchases in those areas, I think, if you're, if you're anything like me anyway. Um, and this year, consumers are going to be feeling a bit poorer. Um, yeah. Wage growth is slower than expected. Goods inflation is high. Energy bills are going to nearly double. Um, it's not the time really to be making big purchases. Uh, so we're kind of trying to avoid most of that area. I would say the exception uh, in that very domestic bucket is around housing um, and housing-related spend. Um, if you've tried to get a builder recently, you'll know how busy that market is. You know, a lot of people moved houses last year, and actually with a six-month lag, that tends to lead to a lot of um, kind of renovation activity. Uh, we're spending a lot more time in our in our homes, so that spending has been reprioritized. So that's sort of the way we look at um, domestic exposure. Okay, and just, I guess... Finally, and a little bit further to that, um, you, you've spoken about inflationary forces in the economy right now. Um, you've mentioned a bit of, of, of how you're, you're, you're playing that. Has it caused a change of your focus recently within the funds? What are your expectation, expectations for inflation this year and beyond? Mm. It's probably the topic we talk most about on the desk, I would say, you know, assessing companies' exposure to um, energy, commodities, and to what extent they can offset this. Um, it's not a huge change for us, though. It's long been kind of quite a big plank of our investment process. It's how we score companies, um, partly because, you know, looking at gross margin, the stability of gross margin over time, for example, that gives quite a nice insight into whether companies have pricing power or not. Um, but it's also a factor that overlaps really nicely with the other quality factors that we like. Um, it's a great signal, I think, for what other good things might be going on in a company. Uh, so we spend a lot of time looking for that. Um, but yes, I think our focus has probably been dialed up a bit in recent months. Um, you know, like in 2020, we spent a lot of time in sort of March, April 2020, we became experts in you know rent waivers and furlough payments and, you know, kind of the liquidity available to these companies. Now the focus is of our questions is around, you know, commodities and energy requirements, hedging strategies, all of those kind of things. Um, and already we've seen that those names with pricing power have outperformed quite considerably. Um, we expect this co to continue. Something we were talking about recently actually was food price inflation. Um, it's an increasing issue. Wheat from Russia and Ukraine accounts for 25% of global shipments and a bushel now costs 50% more than it did a couple of weeks ago. Um, the EU gets half of its corn and fertilisers, for example, from Russia as well. And all of this is going to feed through into food inflation, um, which is already running pretty hot before. So when we're thinking about what kind of names that, that will do well in this environment, um, it's important to assess the pass-through in terms of their contracts that these companies have. Um, those are the kind of names that will be more relatively um, well insulated. Okay, and finally, finally then, um, where does it all leave the UK versus other markets? A lot of what you've said would suggest that it is possible to ride out the volatility that we're seeing, the inflationary wave that we're seeing with companies that can handle that and can work in that environment. Um, do, that, do you think that extends to say then that the UK is attractive versus other markets? Yes, I think it is. Um, we've seen the UK bounce kind of relatively um, against other markets this year to, you know, year to date. But actually, we, we've barely seen the beginning of this. Um, the UK market has been derating since Brexit. So it's a long time. We still sit at, you know, decade lows in terms of that relative valuation versus the US. And that holds even if you strip out those sectors that make the markets look so different, so the, the kind of banks and energy sectors, even if you strip those out, the UK is still trading at a huge discount and a historically wide discount. And normally that leads to markets outperforming over the next 12 months. Um, and you kind of couple that with um, 
a UK market which is full of these resilient, high quality um, companies that, you know, they're not too commodity intensive. Mm. They're not as exposed to the Russia-Ukraine issue as some of the European names. And yet they have that valuation protection that you maybe don't get in the US. So if you are, you know, still a little bit concerned about valuations, I think the UK is a really interesting place to look. Okay, well, Alexandra, we have covered absolutely loads there. Um, That is all the time we have for now. Thanks an awful lot for joining me. Thanks, Ed. You've been listening to the Money Talk podcast. Check fidelity.co.uk for daily written updates and articles on these and other topics from across Fidelity in the UK. And subscribe via iTunes to get the podcast downloaded direct to your devices every week. Please be aware that the value of investments and the income you get from them can go down as well as up, so you may not get back what you invest. This information doesn't constitute investment advice and should not be used as the basis for any investment decision, nor should it be treated as a recommendation for any investment. Eligibility to invest in an ISA or a pension and the value of tax savings depends on personal circumstances and all tax rules may change. You will not normally be able to access money held in a pension until the age of 55. Reference to specific securities or funds should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell these securities or funds and is included for the purpose of illustration only. Fidelity Personal Investing does not give personal recommendations. If you're unsure about the suitability of an investment, you should speak to an authorised financial advisor.